Blog Talk Radio. From Light in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you Make things better. Hi there. Welcome to the program. Um, delighted to have you listening in today, either live or to the recorded version of the program. Uh, more and more and more people are listening to this program, and that is, of course, extremely gratifying to me. It says that, um, well, I don't know what it says. It may say that lots of people are interested in learning more about collaborative problem solving. It probably also says something about just how many challenging kids there are out there and how many people are finding that um, the conventional wisdom and practices are not quite getting the job done and how many people are there who are looking for a different understanding of their behaviorally challenging child and different ways to go about helping. Uh, Whatever your reasoning uh, for listening to today's program, I'm glad you're here and um, happy to be of help. And, of course, that's the main reason that I do this program, to help, to provide people with the support that they need um, to do what we can to help people understand challenging kids better and help them better than we sometimes do. And, of course, that's what the nonprofit I founded uh, is all about as well, Lives in the Balance. Um, hopefully you've been on the Lives in the Balance website, and hopefully you've been on it in the last week or two because you've seen all of the new additions to the website that uh, help you help even better, understand even better, and advocate more effectively on behalf of kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges and their caregivers. So I wonder how I can be helpful. Well, we'll find out. I'm expecting a few phone calls today. They may or may not happen. Actually, we've got one already, so we're going to go to that uh, momentarily. We've got a bunch of emailed questions lined up that we often seem not to get to, but that's okay. Phone calls take priority on this program. Um, Let me give you the uh, number again. It's 347-994-2981. It is highly unlikely that I'll remember to give you that number again because I never do. But uh, if you want to call in, ask questions, comment, get the support you need, um, do call in. Once again, 347-994-2981. You can always just listen to what other uh, people are asking about and uh, dealing with when they're using the collaborative problem-solving approach. And if you're neither a listener nor a caller but uh, still want to get your question answered, just go to the Lives in the Balance website, www.livesinthebalance.org, and uh, send me a question electronically by clicking on the contact form. Another snowy day here in Boston, just what we need more of. I was speaking with a colleague up in Caribou, Maine this morning, where they are very dependent on um, snow 
for um, their livelihood in the winter, and um, they don't have any snow on the ground at all. just goes to show. Sometimes you get it, and sometimes you don't. Um, we've got it, and then later today it'll turn to ice and then rain. So a, a wintry mix, as they say on the uh, Weather Channel. Um, let's um, see what our caller from area code 978 is calling about this morning. Uh, welcome to the program. You're on the air. How are you today? Hi, Dr. Green. I'm doing well. What's on your mind? Well, um, we've actually had some email contact, and I very much appreciate that. Um, and um, I'm going to, you know, like, as I told you in email, I'm going to try to remain as um, general about my son um, just because we're in the process of trying to get um, school to work with us on collaborative problem solving. <clears throat> um, over the years, um, we've worked with some very caring um, and good-intentioned people. Uh, unfortunately, um, not all of them have been on my page. Um, I've been reading a lot about your website. I've become an iPod junkie and listening to your blog radio. I think I've almost listened to all of them on both the parent panel and the school panel at this point. Then you have uh, definitely achieved junkie status. Yeah, yeah. Um, my son is um, 19 years old. And I'm not even going to tell you his diagnosis because it doesn't matter. Um, and I've learned that the hard way because um, I was told he needed a diagnosis to get services. Unfortunately, the services he's gotten have been um, more on the level of um, punishment and reward, and it keeps flip-flopping on that, which only frustrates him more and causes more problems for us. You know, you've got my curiosity up. I hate to interrupt you, but what diagnosis – I'm going to ask you to tell us the diagnosis just so I can be informed about what diagnosis it is that somebody thought rewarding and punishing would fix. Do, do you care to share on that? Oh, sure. I'll be happy to. Um, he originally started off with PDD-NOS. Hmm. And, and, and for those of you who are listening, that's pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified, which is sort of a vague reference to the autism spectrum, but saying – He's somewhere on there, this is the diagnostician, of course, he's somewhere on the autism spectrum, but um, not there enough for us to call him anything in particular, so we'll call him PDDU-NOS. Keep going, sorry. Correct, and um, at three years old, he was also diagnosed with hypoalexia. Got it, and which, uh, can you which tell is us what reading, that is? He was reading at two years old, he was actually counting up to almost 100 at 18 months, and people told me that um, I must be wrong. <laughs> Um, he's a very uh, intelligent you were, you were, young man. You were, you were dreaming it. Go ahead. Yeah, I was dreaming it. I, I knew nothing about what I was talking about. And to complicate it, but I won't go into a full story of it, um, I had a second child also diagnosed with hypoalexia, PDD-NOS, which eventually turned into an Asperger um, situation. Um, but we'll, go, we'll stay with my 19-year-old. Um, my 19-year-old now at this point in time has been diagnosed with high-functioning autism instead of the PDD-NOS. Um, I think in a lot of ways he looked very Asperger, if you want to call it that, um, but he does still show communication um, delays, and I don't even think it's receptive. Um, of course, I've been told he's a selective um, listener, understander, uh, or expressive language kiddo, um, mm -hmm. But anyway, and then, oh, probably about a year or two ago, he got a diagnosis of depression um, and anxiety, and we're just this poor, poor young man. 
misunderstood. Well, and the, uh, the, the part that so makes me sad is that he's, he's number one, that um, all of these diagnoses that he's accumulating tells us that things are not getting better. But I still haven't heard a single one that I think a reward and punishment program would fix. But that's my shtick. Keep going. Sorry. Well, well, I guess I guess out there, um, when you have autism, um, the the re, the reward and punishment or or ABA programs are what you're supposed to do. Um, I know back in when he was three years old, his preschool teacher, when I originally pulled up that and said, "This is what they say fixes autism." Um, the preschool teacher said to me, we can't do this to him. He's too high-functioning, and when we put him in timeout, his self-esteem goes down the tubes, and it just makes things even worse. Now, this is since three years old. Now we're, what, 15, 16 years later. Yes. I was blessed um, to meet a friend um, uh, years ago, probably, oh, I want to say it was at least um, 10 years ago, maybe eight, ten years ago, anyway, um, during an advocacy class, advocacy class, um, she told me about the explosive child. And I read the book, um, and we had numerous conversations. I've been to numerous of your workshops in the area um, since I'm from Massachusetts. And in fact, I'm coming to one in a couple of weeks. Um, and I've always tried to advocate in this direction of, please, let's do plan, well, it was basket B we started with. In fact, on my refrigerator for the last 10 years, not 10 years, five years, we've had this family does basket B. <laughs> wow. You not, not, um, not only achieved junkie status, but also groupie status. But keep oh, going. Oh, I'm, I'm big time. I'm big time. And, I, I, and again, this has been such a blessing um, that recently I found, again, your um, website and your blogs. Um, it's just been such a blessing because it's put me back in focus. And, again, to speak on the high functioning of my son, um, I talk to him about Plan B. When I'm ready to do a Plan B, I say, "Hey, Bud, let's let's talk about a Plan B right now." Uh, you know, and then I'll go into. It. In fact, I just did one before I got on the phone, um, and he's responsive to it. Um, I've learned a lot about him, and I've learned a lot about me. And what I've learned about me is there's a lot of people throwing Plan A at me and telling me that Plan B doesn't work. Um, and it's very frustrating to even have your peers telling you if you just gave them a consequence. And, and recently, as you know, in the news, um, over the last five years, we've had two young men in uh, Massachusetts who have ended up in jail. Yes. And, I, and I'll leave it at that. Um, both of them on the autism spectrum. Yes. And very scary for a parent, especially a no parent of a teenager. Yeah. Um and and what the diagnosis has not got me is adult services. Um in 3 years my son will be 22 years old and um all the adult agencies are now saying his IQ is too high so he doesn't qualify for this one. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a mental health diagnosis. He has an autism diagnosis so he doesn't qualify for that one. Mm-hmm. And the one that he could qualify for um they're only a short-term solution because he needs to be independent. Because of his challenging behaviors, he's a one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Um, he does not, he cannot go in the community without um, uh, without supervision. Um, and we've also, um, over the last year, had an attorney help us get guardianship of him. So the courts see um, him as needing a guardian. 
But yet, okay. at 22, he will be sitting in my living room. Well, so, not necessarily. So I need help, and I need an I need an emergency plan B for me <laughs> to be able to help him. Because um, you're in Massachusetts, yeah. Um, I can probably by email refer you to someone who can probably help you navigate the special ed maze. Okay. And the truth is, it occurs to me that maybe I ought to have her as a guest on this radio program at some point. Well, I will tell you, we've spent thousands of dollars trying to get help to navigate the maze. Well, and I don't think this is going to cost thousands of dollars, and and I empathize with the fact that it's possible to spend that much money. But I also know that sometimes people spend money and the expertise they're buying is not necessarily, and I don't know your situation well enough to know, but um, what you want to be buying is expertise. And so yeah. by email, I'm happy to refer you okay. on to somebody who can provide that expertise. That would be awesome. And it's unlikely that that would cost you thousands of dollars, but really uh, it's got to be someone who knows special ed law in the, in the, in the like the back of their hand. Yep. And that varies from state to state. There are federal SPED statutes, but there are also state statutes. And you need somebody in your state who really knows what they're talking about. Um, it is uh, hard to believe that uh, your son, as you've described him, doesn't qualify for the type of services that he needs. Um, but you may need somebody with more expertise about those things than I do to help you navigate. Um, well, the navigating the navigating is one thing, um, but it's na- having somebody help you navigate and understand um, the type of services, like collaborative problem right. solving, versus right. the standard that everybody else puts him in. Now, one other piece of information I'd, I'd like sure. to share with you is <clears throat> my son um, started off in a collaborative, um, <clears throat> and I wanted him in a least restricted environment, so. I advocated, advocated, advocated. By first grade, we got him into the neighborhood public school. Um, From grades one through nine, he was in the public school. Um, By grade nine, um, halfway through that school year, even though he was probably doing better academically than his peers, um, he was removed um, because I had just had it um, with, the punishment and the reward program, the the ex um, the suspension. The do you know do you know my son got um, eight um, in school suspensions in one hour. Uh, that may be a world's record. <clears throat> yeah, I think so. Um, and so they couldn't understand why it wasn't working. Um, so we eventually put him in a school who said they were doing collaborative problem solving. And I, and I don't want to knock that school because it probably works for somebody else, um, but it didn't. And, and it ended up at the end of his um, time at that school. Um, what I now know is that he spent a lot of time um, sitting on a therapy ball so that they could keep him quiet so he wouldn't upset the other children on the um, autism spectrum diagnosis. Um, and so anyway, so now we're at a point he should have graduated with his peers academically graduated um, last year, and he's not. Um, I'm I'm questioning a diploma versus, you know, is this worth it, you know, kind of thing. Um, I just want him to get the help to learn the lagging skills. By the way, on your your lagging skills assessment, um, he has all of them. On the unsolvable 
solves problems, he has all of them. Well, um, you're hitting the jackpot. But here, here's yeah. my take-home message from what you're saying. Yeah. Um, he is a kid who always has had needs. Yeah. Um, always needed people to understand his difficulties. Yes. He's got a mom who it sounds like has been trying to advocate for him. Um has been trying to make sure that not only does he get what he needs, but that he doesn't get something that you believe would be counterproductive. Mm-hmm. And in that respect, um, I'm sorry to report that your tale, your experience, is too similar to many parents out there, many of whom listen to this program, and many of whom have had similar frustrations trying to advocate on behalf of their kid, having having sought out people to help them advocate, but still haven't quite accomplished the mission. Mm-hmm. And as I'd I, love as to I'm, find those parents. Can, can, can we have a meeting with them so that we can all like be together? <laughs> there's, there's, and, and, there's too many of them. But, yeah. um, the well, way, I would the, love the way, us all to go to the legislation on this one. <laughs> well, um, and Lives in the Balance is in its role as an advocate for behaviorally challenging kids and their parents and teachers and other caregivers is gearing up to accomplish exactly that. Um, and we've got I've some signed ways the Bill on, of Rights. <laughs> yeah, good. Signing the Bill of Rights is, is one place to start, but yeah. um, there will be other things coming down the pike in the next mm, two or three months good. that will help people advocate in ways that are not only um, more powerful but also in ways that permit the voices to be heard as a group. Um, but uh, it's, it's, in the meantime, there are other ways you could like uh, post your story in the share section of okay. the Lives in the Balance website, as some have. And, and you know, my main goal for the share section of the website was to show just how hard it is out there and to let people know, people who are in a position to do something about it, that it, there's a lot of pain out there and there's a lot of unmet needs out there. And one of the things you're going to want to read, I think I'm finally going to get it posted today, is the new real world um, segment that I'm presumably posting today if I can find mm, 20 minutes to work on it this afternoon because it talks about our over-reliance on diagnoses Mm -hmm. and the fact uh, and having me imagine what the world would look like if we weren't so diagnostically dependent and were instead dependent on identifying a kid's lagging skills and unsolved problems because you're running into one of the things I just find so difficult to handle, and so do many of the parents that I work with, and that is that placement in programs are so often based on diagnoses. Diagnosis is the funding key piece. Diagnosis is the entry gatekeeper to a particular program. And you are running into exactly what I hate to see people have to run into. It it shouldn't be this way. It's got to change. Where a kid, rather than basing our assessment on what he needs, we're basing our assessment on what he is diagnostically. And it is a really inefficient, uh, non-responsive way to try to help people get what they need. Mm-hmm. Now, so 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 long as things stay that way, parents are placed in the position of trying to advocate on behalf of their children, even though they are not very well versed in the special education maze, 
or trust in somebody who they believe is well-versed in the special education maze, and sometimes those people are, and sometimes those people aren't. And it, the whole system is sort of really messed up. Yeah. And you are uh, living, breathing proof of how messed up it is. You have a 19-year-old son sitting at home who it sounds like needs quite a bit of what there are people out there who that could offer him, and he's not getting it. Mm-hmm. And well, the, and the other solutions have been putting him on um, medication, which I call chemical restraints. Um, and the other solution that recently was on the table um, was um, a residential program. And my husband and I, actually just before I called, had this conversation again, and I said, so our choice is to either um, keep him at home with us, which puts us at risk that, you know, basically I'm I'm, an, I'm still an at-home mom at, at 19 years old um, because I, I can't work because he's my priority. When he's home, I need to be with him. Um, he's not, his lagging skills make him not safe to be home alone uh, for long periods of time. And so that means pretty much the rest of my life, if things don't change, this is where I am. Or I could put him in a residential program, which I'm at risk that it could turn out to be a plan A program, um, which then, to me, puts my son at a psychological risk of, um, you know, he's already exhibited uh, depression. um, You know, and and I I just bought your Lost at School book. When did you observe my son? Because (laughs) you quoted him, like, Word for word, in so many. Well, of that's these the instances. thing. Is there? You're, I'm sorry to report that not, that you're <clears throat> as unique as I'm sure he is. <clears throat> the kill, the die, the suicide, the, yeah. the all these words that we just look at. We say he. We know that he, at this point, he would not hurt himself. We know that. Right. But he well, says the, it, which say puts was, everybody on his, this high alert. <laughs> yep. His difficulties in your situation, I'm I'm just sorry to say, is not terribly unusual. And here's what I will say about residential facilities for kids who are, as you've described, sometimes it's not a bad idea. Sometimes it is a bad idea. Without knowing your situation better, it's hard for me to say. There are some wonderful uh, residential facilities out there for kids on the autism spectrum that don't have a strong plan A orientation. But I can't say any of them over the air. So what I want to do, because you're in Massachusetts, um, yeah. you're, you're getting lucky here, I'm going to just email me to ask yeah. me for the name of the person who I think will be able to help you. And okay. um, once again, that doesn't necessarily help our listeners um, who may be in other states, but it does provide some help for you. And what I can promise to our listeners is that um, who are not in Massachusetts is that I'm going to have uh, the educational consultant who I think really highly of um, be a guest on our radio program at some point in the next three or four weeks. I'll have to ask her if she's available um, so that other people can benefit from her expertise in the same way that you're going to. I do want to thank you for calling in today, and um, I'm happy that you're in a place where I can actually offer some help. Thank you for calling. All right. Thank you. You bet. Well, um, that's just a situation that is too common and um, lies in the balance, and I are devoted to seeing if we can do something about that. And do read um, the real world segment that I really am going to try to get posted 
this afternoon to the Lives in the Balance website. Um, what a shame that so often decisions about what a kid needs, not about what he needs, but about whether he's going to get it, are based on a category, and a category on which even the experts can't agree every 10 years, because they change it every 10 years, what the criteria should be. Um, it's a fascinating setup, and lots of kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges and their caregivers suffer for it. Well, uh, nobody else waiting to uh, nobody else waiting on the phones here, so I'm going to turn our attention to some emails. Uh, here's one. Uh, I have uh, boy-girl twins who turned three in November of 2010. This is the emailer. My daughter is a stereotypical girl, sweet, thoughtful, introspective, and in so many ways she is wise beyond her years. My son has been a challenge since he learned to whine at six months old. Isn't that interesting um, that the same parents, parenting in the same way, have one child who is what we might call easy and one child who we might call challenging, kind of debunks the myth that challenging behavior is about passive, permissive, inconsistent, non-contingent parenting. I, back to the email. I sobbed when I read your book because I finally found someone who spoke to our experience. That said, my son is only three years old. We have been using CPS for a couple of weeks now, and I have noticed some very real, very positive changes. That said, I often feel like he is a little young to use CPS. Because he's so young, he is such a concrete thinker. He has a hard time talking about experiences out of context. When I ask him what's up, he often gives me a bizarre answer that makes no sense. I think he just wants to give an answer and doesn't really know why he just hit his sister. Often there is no obvious thing that provokes him. So my question is, do you have any suggestions or guidelines or alterations for using CPS with younger kids? Thank you so very much for all of your help. I have hope, and that makes a world of difference. You are so very welcome. Um, what a touching email, and thank you for emailing. Now some answers. Um, it's true. Some kids, and this is not necessarily a function of age, by the way. I know he's three. But there's 17-year-olds that people would describe to me the same way. When you ask him what's up, he often gives you a bizarre answer that makes no sense. And he may just want to give an answer and doesn't really know why he just hit his sister. Often there's no obvious thing that provokes him. So we may have to guess if he's not able to say. But remember, the plan B that you want to be doing and there are exceptions to this, and he may be one of them. The, the, this sounds like emergency plan B, because um, you're saying why he just hit his sister. I think we might want to be doing proactive plan B. And I'm not sure that the hitting is the lead feature of the plan B that you're trying to do. I think you, although you, it could be hitting... Um, but we want to do this proactively if we can. Now, there are going to be some kids, and once again, this is not an age issue. This is just a some kids issue, who aren't going to be able to remember what you are asking about. Um, and I wonder if this is what you mean, talking about experiences out of context. I can't quite tell if when you're 
saying that, you're referring to proactive plan B because you're saying he just hit his sister and that sounds like emergency plan B. So I'll answer for both. Proactively is probably better unless he's having trouble remembering what happened. And we may not be referring to a specific instance, although that is preferable. We may be referring to hitting his sister in general. And all we're trying to do is gather some information from him, if he's able to provide it, about what causes him to sometimes hit his sister. It doesn't have to be that specific instance. And what that will do is give us some clues, because the other thing you're saying is that um, there are no obvious things that provoke him. Well, maybe that's true. Maybe not. Um, but it would be nice for us to get some hints from him about what his sister does that he doesn't like. So once again, I don't know if Plan B is starting with you asking him why he hits his sister. You might be better served by asking him in the empathy step. What you've noticed is that sometimes his sister does things that he doesn't like. What's up? I, I could go either way. Not knowing your son, I'm not exactly sure which I would use as my entree into Plan B, but it would be one of them. I don't think he's hitting his sister because of something she's doing that he loves. Having said that, it might not be spot on that she's doing something he doesn't like. Hard to say. You get the idea. I don't know if we're talking about when he hits or what he doesn't like. Or if you've got a better way of describing the general situations in which he is likely to hit his sister. I'm still betting the house he's unhappy about something she did. Now, let's see if we can gather information from him about what that might be. We do have another option if he's not able to provide that information, and that is to observe very closely when, for a week, times when he and his sister are interacting with each other. Um, and we would only need to observe this really closely for a week but we need to pay close attention to the specific conditions in which he is hitting so that if he's not able to provide that information, and by the way, I might do both, I would ask him, but if he's not able to provide the information, our observations should serve us well. And here's the good news. Even if neither of those gets you the information you're looking for, luckily there's a finite number of reasons that kids that three-year-old brothers hit their sisters. It's finite. So if it's finite, we might need to do some educated guessing, but at least our educated guessing isn't sort of the universe of possibilities. It's a finite number of possibilities. That's how we're going to try to get information from your three-year-old son. But I don't think it's his age that is the issue. And I don't, we don't want to make that mistake because we really can't do anything about his age. But we can take a look at what it is about what we're asking that's hard for him to answer, to provide information about. And once again, I can take you no further than this because I don't have enough information to. But we can ask him, we, we can pay close attention to what seems to be hard for him about answering and um, therefore get a sense about why this providing information in the empathy step of plan B is so hard for him. Here's what I don't know about your son. I don't know if in other respects his communication and language processing skills are developing as expected. I don't know that. 
Um, and I'm delighted that you are experiencing already some very positive changes in your son. But I don't have any basic guidelines for younger kids because I've worked with too many 15, 16, 17-year-olds who were, well, I've had some three-year-olds who took to Plan B much faster than some of the 15, 16, 17-year-olds that I did and were able to provide much more information. So once again, let's let's not focus on age. Let's focus on what it is about Plan B that seems to be hard for your son and make adjustments accordingly. And of course, um, if that doesn't get you all the way there, that little bit of input, um, on a child that I have admittedly never met, let's, um, if you want to, call in. Um, call into the program next time, and um, we can talk, which is even better. I hope that helps. Let's try another one. This is, this is, this is a tough one, too. And, and this is the cool part. You know, when, when people are emailing me about things that they're having trouble with when they're doing Plan B, Generally speaking, that says that they've gotten over some important hurdles already. Because if they're trying Plan B, and if they're writing me or calling me about something that's hard about Plan B, then that usually says they already have the right lenses on. That's a huge hurdle. They already know that their child is lacking crucial cognitive skills. Huge hurdle. They've already identified, usually, they're trying Plan B, they've already identified some highly specific unsolved problems. Huge Sometimes they're not doing it proactively. That's sometimes a hurdle that I have to help them get over if they're doing it emergently. I'm going to try to get them to do it proactively unless it's one of those rare kids who um, just cannot remember outside the situation in which he was having the trouble. And then sometimes I'll recommend that uh, parents do emergency plan B because if they do proactive plan B, the child just can't remember. But there's some significant hurdles that people have already gotten over if they're already doing Plan B. So that's cool. Having the right lenses on. And as, as our last emailer uh, said, um, and let me get back to this. Hold on. Jeez, I just lost it. Um, I, one of the important things about the email is, thanks so much for all of your help. I have hope. And that makes a world of difference. There certainly is hope in knowing that a child is lacking crucial cognitive skills and that his challenging behavior occurs under highly specific conditions that in the collaborative problem-solving approach we call unsolved problems. There's hope there, because problems can be solved and skills can be taught. I'm having trouble finding any hope in calling the kid oppositional defiant disorder. I don't see the hope in that. I don't think it gives us any useful information except that somebody, probably a mental health professional who's qualified to diagnose, agrees that there's something about this child that's different. And you probably knew that already. All right, here's the email. We may only have time for one more today. Uh, hold on, I just went to the wrong one just a second. Uh, Dr. Green, I'm rereading Lost at School as I try to teach my second grade son's teachers and staff about CPS and as I reflect on our experiences at home. I am realizing just how difficult it is to apply CPS to a child with ADHD who has difficulty with impulse control. He simply cannot control his impulses. We are trying our fourth medication, hoping that this will help, but when I try CPS, first it's hard to find a time where he can sit quietly and talk, and second, when something happens, I don't know how to stop the behavior without a consequence, like going to his room or removing him from the situation. 
He and his nine-year-old sister often fight, and I'm trying to figure out what to do to stop the situation and then how to approach it with CPS. If his impulses are uncontrollable, what is the answer to the empathy stage? Because I can't control my actions? If that's the answer, then what type of solution options are there? Thanks. You're welcome. Great question. Um, well, here's here's how I would try to go at this. Um, poor impulse control is a lagging skill, not an unsolved problem. Kids who have poor impulse control, generally speaking, and I suppose he could be an exception, don't have poor impulse control every second of every waking hour. They have poor impulse control under specific conditions in which impulse control is being demanded. So now let's go to the conditions in which we believe he is being impulsive, because as I read your email, I was thinking, is this only about poor impulse control? Now, as relates to one part of your email, it is true that one of the things medication works especially well for is poor impulse control and hyperactivity. And you may not be getting lucky there because that's something medication often does a good job of, but you're on your fourth. And that's a shame um, because, well, it would be nice if you're trying medication to get some help on impulse control from it. Now, to the rest of your email, when I try CPS, it's hard to find a time where you can sit quietly and talk. Now, that's that's one issue. Um if the medication's not working, then collab- if, if you don't have a way to help him be less hyper and less impulsive in talking, then this is going to take some doing. Um, we're going to have to pick times of the day in which he is at least somewhat less impulsive if they exist, and I understand that they might not. But they might, and those might be when we're going to try to do Plan B with him. And the plan Bs that you're going to be doing are going to be very incremental. In other words, if he doesn't have the capacity to sit and talk for long, I'm curious about how long he does have the capacity to sit and talk for. You're not going to get through all three steps in one sitting. You may not even get through the empathy step in the first sitting. You may have to do the empathy step three or four times to get through it and then move on to the other steps. So, when I'm working with a child who has poor impulse control and is hyperactive and is having difficulty even sitting there for the conversation, Plan B looks a little bit different, especially if I don't have medication helping me out on the poor impulse control and hyperactivity end. Plan B is more brief, and I am understanding that it's going to require many return visits to Plan B to get anything done. But I guess my attitude is, what other choice do we have? All right, now... On to the rest of your email. When something happens, I don't know how to stop the behavior without a consequence, like going to his room or removing him from the situation. um, I'm going to state the obvious because you already know this. That's an emergent intervention, and we want to be as proactive as possible. What you do under emergent conditions, I don't think that they're going to do much except maintain safety and hopefully chill things out. Consequences in the heat of the moment, and quite frankly at other times as well, tend to increase heat. I don't know if that's your experience. 
Uh, removing them from the situation could increase heat as well. I'm a little more optimistic about that, though not supremely optimistic. But I just want to make the important point. Those are both emergent interventions. Now the heart of the email, as far as I'm concerned. He and his nine-year-old sister often fight. Hmm. Now that's one big, massive unsolved problem. I'm now wondering about the component unsolved problems. When do he and his sister fight? Over what? Where? And through what combination of plan B and C, plan C could mean that they have limited access to each other and therefore limited opportunities for fighting, Plan B means that we are trying to help them solve the problems in these specific conditions in which they are fighting. But we can't just run with often fighting because it's not specific enough. Often fighting when they're at the dinner table, we need a solution for that. I can think of a few, but I'd rather you do Plan B. Often fighting when they're playing together, that's specific. We could work with them on that. And I've got some solutions in mind, but I can't possibly have any realistic solutions in mind. That's something you'll have to do plan B with them over. Uh, when they're watching TV together, when they're sitting in the back seat of the car together. So often fight isn't going to be specific enough, but I also want to make the point that because it sounds like the unsolved problems involve his sister, while you may be doing plan B separately with both of them, the word both is crucial because both are having difficulty getting along together. Both. That means that he's not the only one we're doing plan B with. And the last part of your email, his impulses are uncontrollable. I don't know about that. And you're asking... What's he going to say in answer to the empathy stage? I think you're going to get more than because I can't control my actions, because I think you're going to be asking about unsolved problems that are specific enough to give you much more specific information. Is that going to take multiple visits to Plan B? Yes. If if you're not going to benefit from medication to help him control his impulses, then yes. It's probably going to take multiple visits to Plan B to um, get the job done. That's right. Um, and I, I wish it were otherwise because it would be great if you would be getting some help from the medication. I don't know if that's in your future or not. Uh, if he's fighting with his nine-year-old sister, you're doing Plan B with both of them. But by being highly specific, the unsolved problem is not that he's having trouble with impulse control. The unsolved problem is the specific conditions in which he's having difficulty with his sister, I wonder if you emphasized poor impulse control less and specific unsolved problems more, if Plan B would be more productive for you, even if you're making multiple return visits to Plan B to try to get the job done. That's my take. I hope that's helpful. As always... If it wasn't helpful enough or if there's more details you want to fill me and our listeners in on, um, call next week. I'll be here.
next Tuesday. And unfortunately, as it relates to this Tuesday, we are um, running out of time rapidly. So I want to thank you for um, our caller today um, who shared her very touching story. Um, uh, I want to thank our emailers, and I want to thank you for listening. And I'll be back next week to do this all over again to give you the information and the support and the help you need. In the meantime, I'm going to sign off for today. Um, have a good week. Hope you don't have a lot of sh- snow to shovel. Looks like I'm going to. Good luck with collaborative problem solving this week. Talk to you next week.